Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on almost all podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, CastBox, Overcast, BeanPod, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, and now Audible as well. You can also listen on your smart device. All you have to do is say, Alexa or Hey Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's www.corvettetodaypodcast.com. You can also sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information at corvettetoday.ck.page. And don't forget to join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We now have over 1,600 members, and I'd love to have you as a member as well. First, let me thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette today, Haltech Systems. Haltech makes the best cold air intake with world-class performance for your C5, C6, C7, and C8 Corvette. It's the quickest and fastest intake with no cutting or hacking. It's just plug and play and no throwing codes. Get your special Corvette Today discount of 11% off with the code CT11 online at HaltechSystems.com or just call them 262-965-4300. That's 11% off at H-A-L-L-T-E-C-H Systems.com or their phone number is 262-965-4300 and get your Corvette Today discount. Also, midengineCorvetteForum.com. If you'd like to join this new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's free to join this friendly community. You'll find a lot of Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midengineCorvetteForum.com. Also, a shout out to CanadianCorvetteForum.com, welcoming Corvette owners around the world. My special, special guest on Corvette today is the Executive Chief Engineer Corvette. He hails from Laredo, Texas. He's only the fifth Chief Engineer in Corvette's 67-year history. He was voted Man of the Year by Automobile Magazine in 2014 when the C7 won Automobile of the Year by that same publication. Automobile Magazine calls him the modern-day Zora Arcus Duntoff, Mr. Taj Juchter. Taj, it's an honor to have you as a guest on the podcast, Welcome to Corvette Today. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, too. Let's talk about your early beginnings with General Motors and go all the way back to your childhood for a minute. Your father was a fighter pilot, which I think is amazing, and he loved Porsches. I know that you said he really wrung out Porsches. Talk about your dad's influence on you as a youngster. Oh, my dad was quite an adventurer. I think most Air Force pilots were. He was very mechanically inclined. And he was a performance enthusiast in all aspects. That's where I learned about vehicle dynamics because he would, even though the cars in those days were a little tail happy, it took a real skilled driver to push him to the limit. He did that. He'd go around with lurid oversteer <laughs> around our neighborhood. 
so much so that the neighbors called the police on him occasionally, but he was always well under control. And I was usually giggling like an idiot in the passenger seat. <laughs> he was giggling too. We were having a great time. So it was the sort of the combination, man, machine, having fun together, pushing the limits, but being skilled enough to be safe as well. So he was always a real adventure. He would like jump with no net. He was the kind of guy who um, figured it's all going to work out somehow. He'd take the trail less traveled and just, you know, we'd dead reckon or just figure out a, you know, our best estimate. We get into trouble, get lost and whatever, but we always found our way back. He really instilled that sense of adventure in me. What a great dad and what a great influence on your life. Tad, you started with General Motors in 1977. You got a degree in aerospace engineering and an MBA as a GM fellowship. How did that educational background translate into you getting your job at General Motors? Well, I started, uh, yeah, I got my bachelor's of science in uh, mechanical and aerospace engineering. Graduated actually in 79. So General Motors was offering summer jobs, a GM scholarship program where they pay tuition for your junior and senior year and give you a summer job. So I signed up for an interview and was lucky enough to be selected. At the time of selection, I didn't know where I was going. I assumed since I went to school in Rochester, New York, that I, you know, there was Rochester carburetor at the time. I assumed I'd be working there, but that's not where they sent me. They sent me to Lordstown, Ohio, the assembly plant producing Vegas the first year and Monza's the second year. It was a crazy experience. You know, here I was not too far out of high school, looking 12 years old. And my main job previously had been like mowing neighborhood lawns and things. I hadn't had a real job. So here I am entering this monstrous factory, three quarters of a mile long, just this massive place. And they sent me to the body shop of all places, which is kind of the loudest, smokiest, uh, most difficult, <laughs> most challenging place to work. Of course, my mother, in celebration of me having a real job, took me to Bloomingdale's and bought me a beige three-piece suit that she thought would be perfect work attire. In those days, we all had to wear ties, even if it was a little bit dangerous. But you can imagine working in a body shop full of smoke and sealants and dirty machinery, and I'm running around there in my beige three-piece suit. Uh, it didn't last very long. So I was kind of a fish out of water, but you know, it was an awesome learning experience, getting into a real company, a large manufacturing operation, seeing how cars were put together, seeing how people had to work together to put cars together. It was a difficult environment. It was a steep learning curve. And I'm really glad I did it, but I'm really glad I did it when I was young. I didn't have any choice. I had to do it then. Right, right. Now, you started with Corvette in 1993, which was the C4. What was your first job with Corvette? And let's reminisce a little bit about C4 and C5 and the development and the launch of those two generations. Okay. You know, I got my bachelor's, graduated in 79. I came to work for GM. I didn't tell you that story, but yeah. Even though I loved what I learned in Lordstown, it wasn't my long-term career aspiration. I really like product design more so than manufacturing. And so when I finished my two summers, I did not think I would work for General Motors, to be honest. And I didn't sign up for an interview when General Motors came to formally interview on campus for full-time positions. But I did go down to the place where they were doing the interviews, and I walked into a random office where I knew some GM person was giving interviews. I just stuck my head in, and I said, 
I worked for you for two summers. I appreciate what you did for me. I really liked it, but I've always had an interest in product design and, and you guys showed no interest in letting me do something like that. And I just thought I'd let you know, you know about my experience. Well, the person I walked in on was the director of personnel at Fisher Body in Michigan at the Warren Tech Center. And he listened to my story and he said, I tell you what, no pressure. Why don't you, if you'd like, we'll fly you out to uh, Michigan and we'll show you how we design cars. If you want, you can interview at the same time. The rest of the story is my roommate at the time really wanted to work for GM and he had already signed up formally for an interview, which he did. And he got the same offer to go to Michigan and interview formally there. And so I said, you know what, I'll go with you and I'll practice my interviewing skills, not thinking that I would end up actually working for General Motors. I had a bunch of other jobs that I was kind of looking at. And so we both came, we both interviewed, we really liked what we saw, huge possibilities at the tech center. And so we both accepted jobs ultimately. That was in 1979. So here we are, 41, more than 41, almost 42 years later. Here I am. Now, my my roommate, he did leave the company, but I'm still here. So I tagged along with him, and then I'm the one who ended up staying 40 years. But it's been a great ride. And a segue to your question is, in 1984, my wife and I got married. We packed up the car, and we went off to business school for a couple of years. So I actually worked for five years before going to business school, and I thought that would be really good to get some basic understanding of business before going back and getting business education. So the idea of doing both the technical side of the job and the business side of the job always appealed to me. I always wanted to basically run a small company inside General Motors and turned out that small company ended up being Corvette through a lot of twists and turns. So it's been an awesome experience. You know, I worked for like 16 years before I even got to Corvette in 1993. And I felt like I finally came home. I had done all these different jobs. And finally, I found a place where everybody was passionate. It was that thing I imagined, running a small business inside a big one and with a clear mission to accomplish, super passionate customers. I thought I finally found home. And so I started in 93 and haven't left since. That's wonderful. Now, let's talk also about the C5 because you were the total vehicle systems engineer. Plus, you're basically responsible for the launch of the C5 Z06. That had to be a major undertaking, but very, very exciting, obviously. Talk about what a total vehicle systems engineer does and talk about the development of the Z06 in that C5 generation. Yeah, the C5 was really interesting. It was basically reinventing the automobile, starting with a blank sheet of paper. You know, the C4 had run a long time. It had some fundamental architectural sort of weaknesses. We needed to upgrade the body structure substantially. So we basically started from scratch with the large hydroform rails. And a total vehicle systems engineer at the time, what we did is we have specialty departments inside General Motors functional departments. So you might have a chassis group and a body group and a heating and cooling group, an electrical group, an interior group. So you have all these functional specialties and somebody has to pull it all together. Somebody has to run the program on time, bring all the builds together, get all the releases done. And the integration part, which is the part that's toughest for an outsider to understand is make sure all the parts work well together. What the driver experiences it's not individual parts. They experience a symphony of parts working together. So there's no one person who designs and releases engine noise, for example. That's the culmination of 
all sorts of different variables from the tire to the chassis design to acoustics inside the car. There's all these things that have to go together to get to the engine sound note that everybody loves. So there's many, many attributes like that that customers experience. And so a total vehicle integration engineer, that's what they do, kind of looking across all the different departments and defining sort of what's the ideal that the customer wants to experience, and then what's the role of each individual engineer in contributing to that ultimate result. So that was the first job I had at Corvette. And I actually went through a bunch of different titles, but it was essentially like assistant chief engineer. You could think of it that way. GM has lots of different internal titles, but Dave Hill, to his credit, came to the job in, uh, as chief engineer in 1992. He knew we had the C5 on the horizon and we were going to need to bring in a bunch of new people. Historically, Corvette had been kind of a closed community. You sort of had to know somebody and it was really difficult because everybody wanted to work on Corvette, but it was hard to get in. To Dave's credit, he sort of opened it up, opened the door to other people, maybe bring in some fresh blood. And I was extremely fortunate at that time to be able to do that, to come in and work on the Corvette team. So I've been grateful and I've been there ever since. That's true. And as a matter of fact, in 1999, that's when you became officially assistant chief engineer and then chief engineer in 2006. Talk about that progression as the new generations of Corvettes were released. And at what point, Taj, did you feel like Corvette was really your baby? I think if you ask most people on the team, they'll all say it's their baby. Our team is so full of passionate car people and Corvette people that they'd all say the same thing, even if they're only responsible for some portion of it. We sort of blur the lines, uh, if you like, on the team. Everybody backs everybody else up. It's more of a team sport. One of the analogies I use is some companies operate like baseball, where individuals get up, you know, there's one person at bat, one pitcher holding the ball, and the plays occur sort of one at a time. On our team, it's more like football. Everybody on the field is involved in every play. Even though you may have a specific responsibility, you always have your eyes open for what's going on in the field and, and how can you make the whole team do better. So I really felt like it was my baby in terms of my personal mission or career as soon as I came to Corvette. Now, obviously, as you move up to assistant chief and then chief engineer, you ultimately come it's not only your baby metaphorically, but you're individually responsible for the outcomes and uh, held accountable by the company for those outcomes. So it really becomes clear then. And Corvette chief engineer has always been kind of the leader of the pack. It's a very big and very talented pack, but we as the chief engineer kind of get to guide the team. And there's really literally thousands of people who work on it, all who deserve just a massive amount of credit. The chief engineer tends to get more credit than they deserve as the leader, and that's certainly true in my case. But we try to reflect that back to the whole team. Everybody likes to be on a winning team, and when we do well, we make sure to communicate that with every member of the team. That's wonderful. Taj, let's take a quick break, but in segment number two, let's talk about the C7 and its development and also how the C8 was in the background there just as the C7 was coming out. You're listening to Corvette Today. 
Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. VetFinders.com is the internet's original Corvette classified ads website with classified ads starting at just $25 and every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. Visit VetFinders.com, the internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E Finders.com. You're listening to the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. Today, my special guest is Executive Chief Engineer of Corvette, Taj Juchter. In this second segment, we're going to talk about the C7 and its development. Taj, the C7 was a dramatic step up from all previous generations of Corvette. Talk about some of the firsts that you had for the C7. Well, in the words of Dave Hill, my predecessor, he said, anytime we do a new Corvette, we try to take our weaknesses and make them strengths. And then we try to take our strengths and make them even better. Corvette, obviously, through C6, or actually four, five, six, all nice improvements over the prior vehicle in many, many ways. And so we had our work cut out for us, honestly, on the seventh generation. We had cut our teeth a little bit on the C6 Z06 with the aluminum frame. It was our first foray into doing large-scale aluminum weldments to make up the entire metallic understructure of the car. So we were always focused on mass reduction, and that was a big initiative on the seventh-generation car. We had built the C6 aluminum frame actually outside Bowling Green and brought it in and put it online. And it was a miraculous feat that we were able to build a steel frame car, an aluminum frame car, down the same line. I'm not sure anybody else has ever done that in the auto industry. But for the seventh generation car, we said, well, we really need to bring this in-house. We need to do our own aluminum construction. So the entire new body shop was built, focused on aluminum structures. And we're always trying to improve stiffness to weight ratio because that's what makes a good race car. And that's what makes a good sports car as well. So that was a big step up from the sixth generation. And we had innovations like the first standard carbon fiber panels, the roof and the hood. We really stretched the entire carbon fiber industry. This is like a global industry and nobody had ever done carbon fiber in these volumes before. So we really pushed on the material side of it. So between the aluminum frame and the more advanced composites on the exterior, 
Corvette has always been a mosaic of materials, so it's kind of an experimental car in a lot of ways with advanced materials placed all around the car. It gets less spotlight, but it's the first time we started mixing carbon and glass and some of the underbody composites for even lighter and stiffer uh, components. And that's just a body structure. We had other innovations like the seven-speed manual transmission with rev match. That one was a real joy to work on. Very, very challenging to get that done because we had an idea of it, but we didn't really know how to do it. And so very, very challenging. Not for the first year, but we did bring out the performance data recorder. That's turned out to be quite a hit, very high penetration in the vehicle. Almost everywhere you look on the C7, there was something new and exciting. The design language, it's the first time we stepped away from round taillights. Of course, we got a lot of hate mail, but it was familiar to us. We got hate mail when we got rid of pop-up headlamps, too. But very quickly, people adapted to it. I remember one customer sending me hate mail. It was somebody I met at a Corvette event, and he said, if you don't get me an option for round taillamps, I am not going to buy this car. And then a few months later, he sends me, you know, well, they're not that bad. I'd, I really want round taillights. Maybe you can do an accessory or something else. And then a few months later, he's like, oh, can you get me some sort of discount on a new car? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. He, he made the transition. And I think getting adventurous on the design language for the exterior Corvettes uniquely don't adhere to a strict code, sort of a retro code, where we always go back to the well of what we used to do well from a design standpoint. Every version of the Corvette is pretty distinct versus some of our competitors, which just make very limited changes. They look more or less the same model after model. We try to really respect our past, but also advance the state of the art in the design and that was really true on the exterior, but also it was the first time we really paid attention to the interior, wanted to do a really nice upgrade, a really premium execution using excellent materials. And I think that was recognized when we brought the car out, that it was a really noticeable step up from Corvettes in the past. And really the C7 was the first time people looked at the car globally. So in all markets around the world and said, you know what, it's now fully competitive with very premium vehicles from around the world. It doesn't really have a glaring weak spot that you can point at. So between all the new features and exciting functions for customers, the build quality, the materials execution, C7 was quite an advance. It really was because I know that the only two parts that were carryovers from the C6 generation were the cabin air filter and the latches on the target top, but the interior was much better with all leather. The seats were a huge upgrade, and it really was a big, big advance from C6 to C7. Also, let's talk about the C7 because I know through previous interviews that you've talked about that the C7 was really supposed to be the mid-engine car. Let's talk about that scenario and the timeline and how that all went down with staying in a front-engine platform versus the mid-engine platform for C7. Well, that's a long, complicated story. I don't know if you talked to Harlan about it at all, but we've been toying with the idea of it for quite a while. It really started to get serious in C6 timeframe. So when we were developing the sixth generation ZR1, the supercharged 638 horsepower monster, as that car came into being as a supercharged, it was the first time we did the, the supercharged engine. So the engine was actually bigger and heavier than the naturally aspirated LS7 that we had for the Z06. And so the car was actually getting more nose heavy. So it went from roughly 50-50 weight distribution to 52-48. 
So you had less percentage of weight on the back wheels and you had a lot more horsepower and torque. And for quite a while in the development of the vehicle, we were concerned that the sprint from zero to 60 miles an hour would be won by a Z06 in a match race. So the less expensive car with less horsepower might still beat the ZR1 in zero to 60. Now, the ZR1 would go blowing by it by the quarter mile, but still, that's not something you really want. When you move up in the model line, you want everything better. And so that scared us. And we started realizing that more horsepower wasn't going to be the solution to expanding our performance envelope. And we know that every generation of Corvette needs to expand the performance envelope. Going the other way, it's a really bad recipe for the business. People keep their old cars if it performs better than the new car. So we were kind of forced. The question became not so much how much horsepower can you produce, but how do you get that horsepower to the road? And even though we'd been trying to move things more rearward in the vehicle, uh, try to get more weight on the back, we could only do very limited incremental changes to just move tenths of a percent rearward. We couldn't really make a wholesale change in getting more traction on the back. Some people have done it with front engine cars, but they, the proportions start to get utterly bizarre and not modern. And so we really didn't want to do that. We wanted to have a really nice balanced looking car and get the weight distribution to the back. And that's when we started saying, you know what, there is really no, we'd already moved the transmission to the back. We did that in C5. So the last remaining heavy thing we could move was the engine. So we were kind of faced with its mid-engine or bust. We had to figure out a way to get the engine to the back. The ZR1 is a true monster. I know originally it wasn't supposed to be in the C7 lineup, was it? No, in fact, that's sort of the rest of the story. We started talking mid-engine back in the C6 days. The credit crisis and the subsequent bankruptcy of many companies, including General Motors, forced us to lock down our spending. So we didn't have a huge amount of money to develop all new products. And so we had to retrench. And so the C7, way ahead of time, we were eyeing that it could be the mid-engine car. We'd started doing some planning around it to see what we would need to do. Then the credit crisis happened and we had to put off those plans. And it was interesting actually going through the bankruptcy because there was a lot of talk about General Motors needs more small vehicles or high quality small vehicles was the prescription in the media for what General Motors needed to do. But after we had the Treasury Department actually inside inspecting what we were doing, it was very interesting. There was actually Corvette fans amongst them. As soon as we were starting to emerge from bankruptcy, what we started working on was uh, new full-size trucks and new Corvettes and many other vehicles. So we were really lucky because the Corvette is a pretty good business to be in. And so we were really lucky to be able to get started, but we couldn't start with our ultimate aspiration. We actually had to start working on the seventh generation as a front engine car because we wanted to get something out there that was really good, really special, a great successor to the C6. But it had to be fast. It had to be something we were confident that we could execute. So we still had its challenges. You can see what a big step it is from the C6. But we were forced, essentially, to postpone our aspirations for the ultimate big move on C8. And the reason the ZR1 wasn't part of the plan was that we thought we would do a relatively short life cycle, do Stingray Coupe and Convertible, the Z06, and then maybe start looking towards bringing out the C8. But instead, we wanted to actually fill out the whole portfolio, which we ended up doing with both the, the ZR1, the 755 horsepower ZR1, and the Grand Sport, which has become very popular. So we realized we had a lot more opportunity with that architecture than we originally thought. 
the aluminum frame and structure can handle a lot more power. We ultimately produced the full suite of models that people had become accustomed to. Was it really kind of a surreal thing when you released the C7, knowing that in the background you're developing the C8? We sort of live in a surreal world all the time because <laughs> we're always working on stuff that's four years ahead of what we're talking publicly about. So we're kind of used to that. But yes, that was a pretty big sort of back office project. Even as we're launching and revealing the C7 and bringing out new models, we had work percolating on the back burner because with all C8, we knew it was going to be a huge challenge. We knew that you can't just throw the engine on the back and call it a day. There's so many intricate engineering problems to solve. And we didn't have three, four, five, six, seven generations of mid-engine cars in which to get that right. We had to get it right, right out of the box. And if you look at the development of some of our competitors over the years, they've gone from having some pretty substantial deficiencies to get to the where they are in modern times. And so we had to leapfrog all of that. We had to come out with a fully modern, fully capable, no excuses, mid-engine car right off the bat. And so we kept a pretty good list amongst all our technical experts about what are the toughest, naughtiest problems that we have to solve. Let's start doing some advanced work on those problems such that when we get rolling in earnest, we kind of think we know what we're doing. That sounds really cool. Let's take another quick break, Taj. But in segment number three, we're going to talk about the mid-engine C8 on Corvette Today, the podcast. If you're looking for top quality aftermarket parts for your C2 through C7 and especially your new C8 Corvette, look no further than Apsis USA. We are a leader in aftermarket parts, especially parts made in carbon fiber. Whether it's for your interior, exterior, or engine bay, Apsis USA can custom make nearly any part you want in leather, carbon fiber, or carbon flash. Plus, we have custom parts for your new C8 Corvette that no other company has. Visit our website at apsisusa.com. Or call toll-free at 1-800-68-APSIS. That's 1-800-682-7747. Call and get the special Corvette Today discount of 10% off your order. We'll help you customize your Corvette to give it that one-of-a-kind look. So when you want the best, look to the leader in aftermarket interior, exterior, and engine bay parts for your Corvette. APSIS USA at APSISUSA.com. Don't forget, call today and get your 10% discount when you mention the Corvette Today podcast. KC Trends Motorsports has been the Midwest's largest custom wheel superstore for over 25 years. They specialize in C8 wheel fitments from the top brands in the industry like HRE, Vossen, ADV1, Avantgarde, and more. They ship daily from their Kansas City location to all upper 48 states with the best pricing and inventory in the country. Need tires? KC Trends Motorsports has you covered. They have tires in stock from Michelin and Pirelli. Plus, they can help you with a customized wheel and tire combo for your Corvette to truly make it one of a kind. And if you need wheel ideas, no problem. Simply go online to kctrends.com for their car and wheel visualizer. See the wheels on your Corvette before you purchase. Also, there's dozens of wheels and tire combo pictures to look through online to spur your imagination. And their expert staff is there to help you with wheel and tire sizing and offsets for your C6, C7, and C8 Corvette. Visit them online at kctrends.com. See them on Facebook and Instagram. Make any Corvette a one-of-a-kind with KC Trends Motorsports. Call them toll-free, 877-962-5200. KC Trends Motorsports. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host, 
and my husband, Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. My special, special guest today is Executive Chief Engineer for Corvette, Taj Juchter. In this final segment, we're going to talk about the new C8 mid-engine Corvette. Taj, the mid-engine Corvette has literally been 60 years in the making because I know, obviously, Zora wanted a mid-engine way back in the early 60s. Brainstorming for this car started, like you said, about 15 years ago with Dave Hill. Talk about that presentation to Dave and how you got him swayed over to thinking mid-engine. Well, Harlan Charles deserves a lot of credit. We had had like hallway conversations about how do we start the conversation because there'd be an enormous, actually, just like in Zora's day, There'd be an enormous number of people in leadership positions with entrenched positions about what to do with the Corvette. You know, we had a really stable business, reliable customer base, enthusiastic customer base, and this would be a big business risk. Some people would see it as a risk not worth taking. And in fact, if you read some of the, the, uh, well, at the time, not email, but paper letters back and forth between Zora and his leadership, there was that exact same opinion. Why would you walk away from a successful business? Zora obviously understood the technical reasons why, but at the time, his leadership did not. They kind of saw it as Zora chasing a wild dream, and uh, General Motors was quite risk-averse, and so really didn't want to let him pursue that dream. There's a lot of questions then, as there were this time around. So give Harlan a lot of credit for being a guy who's more in touch with our customers than any other single General Motors employee and maybe any other person in the world. He was an early advocate. He thought we needed to do something to expand the performance envelope, and he thought we would probably be able to appeal to more customers with a mid-engine design than we had with the front-engine design. He thought we'd keep everybody we had and maybe get some more, so that was his theory. Of course, the theory is you have to keep what's everything good about the Corvette that had been developed over multiple generations. You know, the broad bandwidth on utility, the easy livability, you can use it as a daily driver, you can use it as a long distance tour. It's also great on the track, easy to drive, easy to learn. So it had all these attributes that made it quite successful. And you're taking a big risk on some of those attributes. And in some ways, some people thought impossible, like how would you get good luggage room on a mid-engine car? How would you ever carry golf clubs and questions like that? So it was a pretty skeptical audience. He kind of broached the idea of combining everything that was great about the Corvette that we had developed and adding some sort of fantasy exotica to it and some real world performance to it. So he was kind of working on that at the same time we had a number of technical studies going on on, well, what would it really mean to shift the weight distribution from 50-50 to something more like 40-60? We actually worked with Pratt & Miller, the folks who helped run the race team. We did some very early work on the vehicle dynamics, what it would mean, what we'd have to do to take advantage of that traction. We also did, and it's not a well-told story, but we don't usually do clinic work, but we actually did do uh, a clinic. We took a generic design, so not anything specific to Corvette or any sports car, and we took that design language and we put it over a front engine proportion and we took it over a mid-engine proportion. And we took a bunch of customers, people buying Corvettes and Porsches and Ferraris, all sorts of different sports cars, and we brought them in and we showed the generic design And what we found was Harlan's theory was true. Almost everybody, all the Corvette owners said they would consider the mid-engine car. 
the people who were owned other marks, relatively few of them were interested in the front engine, and most of them were interested in the mid engine. So it looked like it was bearing some fruit that even just on the appearance and the implication of the proportion that we could appeal to some new customers. And you're always looking for new customers. You can't keep selling to the old customers forever. So that really kicked off a more formal technical study. There was actually a time when Bob Lutz, who was Dave Hill's boss at the time, he made the statement in one meeting that anybody caught working on a mid-engine Corvette is going to be fired. In spite of that, <laughs> we thought we had enough evidence and enough of a good idea that we persisted. First, convincing Dave that it was at least worth studying. No decision made, but at least worth studying. We did some of that study work, and then Dave commissioned an escalation. So we basically took the show on the road. I made the presentation combining both Harlan stuff and the technical stuff and presented it to Bob and ultimately Rick Wagner, the CEO of GM, and a whole bunch of people in leadership basically telling them really the scientific reasons why it made sense for us to do a very serious, deep study, which means getting a bunch of people involved and spending General Motors resources on studying them. And after the presentation, Bob said to me, well, that's the first time in my career. He said, I've had a lot of people pitch mid-engine to me before, but that's the first time I've been convinced of it. He said, every other time the argument boiled down to it was really cool. We didn't say anything like that, and we didn't use arguments even about the aesthetics. It was all about expanding the performance envelope, and that's what won Bob over, because, of course, Bob was a performance addict himself, and he saw the logic in it. Really, that's a great story. Also, you started with a clean sheet of paper with the C8. It's really interesting because you got to design it from scratch. Talk about that and how the team came together with engineering, design, and development. Well, there's a huge number of people, as I said, eventually numbering thousands of people involved, but we had the basic equations to solve. Okay, what engine, what transmission, what does the occupant compartment look like? What do we have to be wary of? We knew about things like, okay, the accessory drive, which is normally on the front of a front engine car, so it's way far away from your ears. You have the whole engine in front of you, got the front of dash. But in a mid-engine car, all that accessory drive is 12 inches from your ears. It's right behind your seat. We knew from all our acoustic work that we didn't want to hear accessory drive noise, which is trashy, high-frequency noise. You want to hear intake and exhaust noise. So we had these big-picture items, how to solve the sound, how to manage the thermal energy, how do you cool it. And the reason that was a big challenge is because we knew we wanted both a front trunk and a rear trunk. So when you do a front trunk, you can't put radiators on the center. You have to put radiators in the outer corners. And then we thought, well, we probably have the opportunity to have big side scoops so we can put radiators in the back. But somehow we have to evacuate all the hot air out of the engine compartment. And that's really hard when you have a trunk behind it. And so we ended up adding fans and big vents in the hatch. We had to decide, well, how much luggage room is enough? How do we proportion this packages all together and come up with a good proportion that design likes? So really, every department in GM had to come to bear on it, including the, the usual people, design and engineering and development, but also people in other places you might not think of first, like manufacturing. Well, how are you going to build this thing? We have this traditional Corvette villa process, we call it, the way the car is built. So there's a metallic aluminum frame, then you bond, a lot of it's structurally bonded together with these advanced composites, and then most of the skin is bolted on. So it's easy to repair, but it's a very unique construction. It's more like a race car than a typical street car. 
And so we had to figure out what the manufacturing process was for this very, very different car. And even fundamentals of weight distribution make a huge difference. Just the way a traditional carrier in an assembly plant is designed. If you use the standard traditional automotive carrier, the car could actually fall off. And so you had to rethink even the most basic things all the way through the process to make sure you didn't get to a point way downstream where all of a sudden you have a fundamental problem. So really every department had to rethink how they did their business in order for us to do this. What design elements are you most proud of with the C8 Taj? Well, Corvette prides itself on being really good at integrating form and function. So we don't do fake things like all the vents on the car are real. If you look at most cars, you'll see these sort of decorations. You'll look at them closely. It looks like a vent, but it's really just a piece of black plastic and nothing really flows through it. Because of the performance aspects of our car, we have a lot of aerodynamic requirements, a lot of cooling requirements. And so the styling and aero of the car are really functional elements. And so we've done that for a long time. I think on C8, the way we've integrated those are really very special. Packaging around the luggage room, being able to get the removable rigid top, because a lot of people thought, well, okay, why don't we just get rid of the removable roof? We didn't want to have to leave it in the garage. So why don't you just get rid of that? Just do what most of our competitors do, just have a fixed roof. But, you know, we've had that removable roof and customers really like it. Even if they're buying a coupe, they can take the roof out if they want. It's been a hallmark feature since the fourth generation. We didn't want to do that. So we had to figure out, okay, what style and proportion lets the roof be a removable and a size that we can actually fit it in the car because we don't want to leave it in the garage. Then it has to be thermally protected. There's all these detailed things that you have to figure out. But, you know, the thing that you asked me one thing, I'm going to give you 20 things, but <laughs> one thing that really comes across, you know, we talk about weight distribution being important for like zero to 60 time getting that traction. But more than that, it's everyday traction. Like if you're doing a U-turn on C4 through 7, if you hit the gas doing a U-turn, you know, like pulling onto a road or even a 90 degree turn, you spin up that inside tire and you go, but you don't go like you'd like to go. That's just a little difference of going 50-50 to 60-40. When you do something like that, it almost feels like an all-wheel drive car. The car just puts the power down and just takes off. It's very confidence-inspiring. So I think the overall ride and handling, the vehicle dynamics, uh, the way this car rides is unlike any Corvette before. And if you read much about it, even though the car gets great marks for high-performance handling, it's also mentioned on lists of the best riding cars in the world. Not sports cars, any car. Part of that is because you're sitting right at the center of gravity. Your H-point, your hip point is at the center of gravity of the vehicle. And so when the wheels are moving up and down and shaking the body, it all shakes around you. It doesn't shake you. And so that's one of the reasons why this new architecture gave us a fundamentally surprising new paradigm in ride versus handling. It's pretty amazing to experience for people who've gotten to drive the car. And I'm a technology geek myself, so I really enjoyed the wireless charging, the over-the-air updates, and especially the front lift. Talk about a few of those little design elements like that front lift that makes the C8 so special. Yeah, it was funny. We have long been, you know, Corvette's a very low car. The aero aids, especially front splitters that really give you front downforce, are not curb-friendly and driveway-friendly. 
And so we know we spend a lot of time with our customers and spend a lot of time in these cars. And we know that you can occasionally scuff one or break one. And that's not pleasant. So, you know, the car needs to look like the way it needs. But then how do you break that paradigm? How do you give customers something that can get over that? You know, some people live in areas where that's not really an issue, but other people live with driveway ramps and other things where it's a big issue. In fact, some people can't buy the car because of it. So we studied other people had done lift systems and we thought, well, we could do a front lift system. System. But because we had this new electrical architecture where all the modules in the car communicate with each other, we thought, well, maybe we can integrate the GPS with it so that you could memorize and not have to hit the button every time to lift it. And so that's where we came up with this idea. And it's new. And usually when you do something new, it takes a long time. Like when we did PDR for the seventh generation car, we didn't have it the first year out because it took longer to do PDR than to do the whole rest of the car. And that's because it's new and novel and you have to get people to work together on something they don't already have a similar product designed for. And so that was the case with the front lift with the GPS enabled, but we were able to pull that off. And that was one of the surprises at the reveal. People thought that was really cool that you could memorize a thousand places to automatically lift. And it's smart enough to know if you're coming in fast, you better start lifting earlier. It sees that GPS point coming up at you faster. And so it starts earlier if you're going faster. So, yeah, I think people really like that. I think they like the wireless charger. And for 21, we have uh, wireless CarPlay and Android Auto. That's the next step in the evolution. It's really nice. You can just stick the phone in the charger. It's charging away. And meanwhile, it's wireless connected to the car. And so you have all the apps and uh, fun stuff that you have on your phone. So, yeah, and I think I haven't mentioned it yet. I probably should mention it. For the C7, we focused on the interior and took it up quite a big notch. Well, for C8, we had the same team in place, actually. It was the same people. So we were fresh off doing the C7. And we said, okay, how can we top ourselves for C8? And we had a mantra of no painted plastic. We weren't going to use painted plastic anywhere on the interior of the car if we could possibly help it. And so we had to think of ways and constructions to use premium materials elsewhere. So no media or customers could pick at spots or point at spots that look cheap. And so that wasn't the only thing we did, but we really did try to take advantage of the best materials available, take advantage of the fact that the engine's not in front of you, it's behind you. So you don't have this big hood bump and you could really focus on down vision. So we really worked to push everything down as low as possible in the front. So the driving experience really feels like a race car. It's outstanding. It's a fantastic car. Let's talk about the dual clutch transmission for a little bit, Taj. A lot of purists obviously are disappointed. There's no manual transmission, but in this platform and this design, we can't do a manual transmission. Speak to that a little bit more and tell people why we've got the dual clutch transmission. Well, dual clutch transmissions, you know, we've had a lot of customers asking us for dual clutch based on reading media reports about them. Dual clutch transmissions, essentially a manual transmission. It's actually like two manual transmissions, but it's really great for speed and quality, can be great for quality of shifts. But the huge advantage to it is that it maintains torque at the wheels even during a shift. So it's a good performance enabler. We had a lot of challenges because we had to engineer a bespoke transmission to take our engine speed and torque and meet all our requirements. And there was no transmission on the shelf anywhere that would have met that. So we had to essentially design one from scratch. And that was one of the long lead and tricky things we had to figure out for the C8. We actually did want to offer a manual version of the car as well. 
but it would have had to have been a bespoke manual transmission and all the manual transmission suppliers in the world see the writing on the wall. Each year, their volume goes down lower and lower, and they can see that they need to think of a different way to run a business because customers are walking away from traditional manuals. Now, I love manual transmissions. I tell people all the time, I've never purchased a car for myself in my entire life that wasn't a manual transmission. So it was a tough pill to swallow when we essentially got no quotes, which means no supplier would work with us on designing a, a manual transmission. It's way too much investment for a diminishing return, very likely to be a poor business. We used to offer Z06s and ZR1s in manual only and sold in good volume. As soon as we offer the automatic, most everybody gets the automatic. So it's hard to argue that you have to have the manual transmission. And we think that DCT is a good manual transmission. The paddles are instantly responsive. The way the transmission works is just like a manual transmission. If you want to pop it in neutral, all you do is hit both paddles and you're coasting, which I do in a manual regularly and I use in the DCT as well. Once we realized that a manual was off the table just commercially, then we were able to optimize the rest of the car around DCT only. And you see many manufacturers of high-performance sports cars, this is what they do. They optimize around the DCT. So you don't have three pedals. That lets you arrange the pedal box so your feet are in the perfect position for gas and brake. It lets you do a really nice dead pedal. All that's important, but it's even more important because the structure of the car can be much more efficient. If you don't have a clutch pedal, you can actually route uh, structural elements through that part of the forward part of the occupant compartment, making the car lighter and stiffer. If you don't have a mechanical linkage going through the tunnel, remember our car is dependent on this structural backbone because we don't depend on the roof for body structure. It's all dependent on the lower structure. And the primary element is that big tunnel that goes down the center. When you punch a big hole in it, as we have for the prior generations, you lose a lot of that torsional rigidity. And so having just a DCT with electronic shifters let us put no holes in that tunnel. So it's a big square, thick walled tube that gives the car incredible rigidity and crashworthiness. So there's a lot of elements we could really optimize once we knew a manual transmission wasn't in the cars. And you've got a lot of great options for the C8 as well. You've got 12 different exterior colors instead of 10. There are six different interior themes. There are six different seat belt options. There's three different seats and also three different stitching options. This is really an opportunity for a Corvette enthusiast to truly design his own Corvette. That's really, really exciting. Well, whenever we go to Corvette events, we get customers telling us, oh, I really wish you had this, or I really wish you had that. Everybody wants something a little special, something that's unique to them. And so manufacturing complexity is a difficult challenge. It would be much easier to do Henry Ford's solution, just make them all black and all the same way. But our market isn't really like that. This is a dream car, and they want their dream to be in Technicolor. They want it to be exactly the ideal way. And so... We're always trying to balance that, how much customization can people do and still offer it at, at reasonable cost. And so, yeah, for the C8, we thought we might get some new customers and we thought right out of the box, we want to give people as much customization flexibility as possible. Also, Tadge, talk about your C8. I know that you've ordered a 2021. What are the options that you spec'd out your car with? So I can clear something up here. 
I was talking to a group and I was talking about ordering my company car. Oh. And that got misconstrued as a car I'm going to purchase. So we usually, each model year, we get cars in advance of customers to test them out, make sure they're all okay. So I did order, which I'm driving now, a red mist car. 3LT in a natural tan interior, pretty much all the bells and whistles. It's a beautiful car. It's not a Z51. It's actually our new suspension, FE2. So that's the MR shocks on the base chassis. It's a very elegant, slick package. Everywhere I go, people just love it. And also, General Motors is kind of a veritable who's who when it comes to Motor Trend's 2020 power list. For example, General Motors CEO Mary Barra, she's on the list at number six. Also, the GM president, Mark Royce, is number 28. You, sir, are number four. What a tremendous honor. Uh, well, it is, but I really look at it as a team honor. It's a recognition of what the whole team has accomplished and the recognition of what the C8 really means. That list comes and goes each year. You know, I'm on it this year. I'll probably be forgotten next year. And I bet Mary and Mark will still be on it, which uh, that was the proper uh, ranking of our compensation as well. <laughs> yes, that would always be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Taj, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time to be on Corvette today. Any final thoughts you'd like to portray to our listeners? Well, we're really heartened with the reception the car has gotten. We worked really hard, and I, I mean the big we, all of us, our supply community, everybody in General Motors worked really hard on this car. And so we're really happy to see the reaction it's gotten from customers and media alike. You know, we're working as hard as we can to produce as many cars as we can. We're not keeping up with demand, but I want all the customers to know we're working as hard as possible to make as many cars as possible so they can get in this wonderful machine. Next year, we move on to international markets. So that's another reason why we want to really ramp up our production to as much as possible, because we're starting to sell the car with right-hand drive in Japan right after the first of the year. And then we're going to go to Europe and many other markets. We're already shipping to the Mideast. And so it really is a global phenomenon. The, the Japanese, they sold out more than their share, what they were entitled to in five days. So it looks like it's a hit. It's really a thrill for us and the entire General Motors team. Taz, you've got a phenomenal world car on your hands. Congratulations, and thank you so much for everything with the C8, and thanks again for being on Corvette Today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today, and thanks to our flagship sponsors, too. Make sure you take advantage of these great podcast discounts from Haltech Systems. You can get 11% off with the code CT11. Use that online at H-A-L-L-T-E-C-H systems.com or call them at 262-965-4300. Also, Apsis USA. Get 10% off online at APSISUSA.com or call them at 1-800-68-APSIS and mention the Corvette today podcast to get your 10 percent discount you've been listening to corvette today with steve garrett if you'd like to contact steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on corvette today you can email him at steve garrett dj at gmail.com that's steve garrett dj at gmail.com garrett has two r's and two t's or connect with steve on social media on facebook twitter or instagram using at Steve Garrett DJ. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.